This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. All right. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. We may have those watching for the first time today, and we also have those watching who watch every time we're on the air. Thank you so very much. We do appreciate the emails, the telephone calls, and the letters we receive from many of you who watch Getting to Know Your Bible. Now today on our telecast, we want to talk about Christ being first in the home. Christ being first in the home. And so we want you to stay tuned as we discuss this very, very important subject today, one that's sorely needed in our time. Now, in order that you might know more about a free Bible correspondence course that we continue to offer on getting to know your Bible, we'd like to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. One of the great kings of the Old Testament was a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good man. Now there was a time that the uh, Assyrians came up against God's people and uh, they were delivered from the hand of the Assyrians by the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the 37th chapter of Isaiah, we're told that 185,000 of them were killed. And it says when the people arose early in the morning, they were corpses all dead. Now that's when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, went back home. Now, after this, Hezekiah became quite ill. As a matter of fact, Isaiah told Hezekiah to set his house in order. He said, you're going to die and you're not going to live. And then Hezekiah did, did what all people should do when they're needing of the, in need of the Lord. He began to pray. And God heard the prayer of Hezekiah and lengthened his life by 15 years. Now, there was the king of Babylon who heard about Hezekiah's sickness and his recovery. And so he sent an envoy to Hezekiah. And when they came to Hezekiah, Hezekiah showed them everything that he had in his house. He showed them this house of treasure, the gold, the silver, the spices, the precious ointment, all of his armory, everything that was in his treasures. And then Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and he asked him a question. What did these men say when they came? And, and where, where did they come from to you? And he says, uh, well, the, what did they say? He said, they came to me from a far country. They came from Babylon. Now here's a verse that I want to read to you. And it's verse 4 in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 4. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There, there's nothing among my treasures that, that I have not shown them. I want you to think about that question. What have they seen in your house? G. Campbell Morgan was being shown around his son's home, a new home that they had built. 
one, going from one room to another. And finally, Mr. Morgan said to his son, I don't see anything that would indicate that the Lord lives here. He didn't see a motto. He didn't see a plaque. He didn't see a Bible. didn't see a Bible verse anywhere. Let me ask you, what have people seen in your house? This is a question Hezekiah was asked. What have they seen in your house? And, and he said, well, they've seen everything. There wasn't anything in my house that they haven't seen. You know, if we can see what is in a person's home, in their house, it tells whether or not their life is counting for God or not. If you can see the kind of, uh, of television programs that an individual watches, the kind of books they read, the kind of music to which they listen, if you, if you can see what's in the refrigerator in the cabinets of that home, it says an awful lot about that home. We need to stop and realize that God is the one who made the home. In the very beginning of time, God saw that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. So he took a rib from the side of Adam, and from that rib he made the woman. When the woman was presented to the man, he said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife. And, and those two, they'll be one flesh. That's the origin of the home. Sometimes we talk about the home today and we, we talk about legislation, about family and all. Let me tell you something. Homes are not made by legislation. Homes are made in heaven. God is the one who originated the home. You know, we read about a lot of homes in the Bible. There, for example, the home of Adam and Eve. And it wasn't always easy in the home of Adam and Eve. There were problems in their home. There's the home of Jacob, the home of Jesus, the home of the prodigal son. And then there's our heavenly home that we read about in the Bible. How would you define a home? Someone has said that home is the place where the world is shut out and, and love is shut in. Or, or home is the place where people love each other and live for each other. And this is the best place in all of the world. It was John Howard Payne who said, Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. This is the best place in all of the world. I have had the opportunity and the blessing of being uh, be able to travel in various places around our country and even in, in various places around the world. And, I, and in the preaching of the gospel. And I can tell you one of the best things about all of those travels is being able to get back home. Well, what would people see today if, if, if we could see in your home? Now, I rest assured I'm, I'm preaching to you on television and I cannot see you, but I envision you're sitting there at your television watching this telecast. But, but the question is, what do people see in your home? Do, do we see Christ in your home? Je Jesus Christ should be first in your home. Jesus ought to be the head of your home. He ought to be at the steering wheel of your home. He ought to be controlling what goes on in your home. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, made this statement that is well known. I've seen this verse written on plaques. I've seen it uh, uh, on walls in people's homes and offices. 
Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You, you see, when, when we have that attitude, that whatever else may come and whatever else may go, I'm going to serve the Lord in my home. If Jesus came to your house, what, what would he find? Would he find a home of love? Where there's peace, harmony, tranquility? Would he find a home where the husband loves the wife and adores her and treats her like a queen? And the wife loves her husband and treats him like a king? And the children love their parents and they, they, they comply with their parents' wishes? Is that what he would find in your home? Or would he find a home where there's quarreling and and fussing and, and fighting? Would he have, find a home where occasionally the, the police have to come and enter in, in, intervene in your home? You see, what would we see in your home? You know, a ter- somebody says, well, Brother Lambert, you know, I, I go to church every Sunday and uh, uh, I, I read the Bible sometimes and, and, I, and occasionally I, I, I pray. Let me tell you something. You can attend every service of the church. You can be involved in the church. But if you're not living for Christ in your home, it's not going to have very much effect upon your children. Let me me ask you this question. What is the acid test of the workability of Christianity in your life? You say, well, I give a a big check on Sunday. As a matter of fact, Brother Lambert, you need to know that that, that I I put in the plate on Sunday the largest check in our church. Is that really the sign of the workability that that Christianity is working in your life? You say, well, I'm able to quote a lot of verses out of the Bible. Well, I encourage liberality to the Lord and I encourage people reading the Bible and memorizing the Bible. But is that the way that we really know that Christianity is working in your life? You say, well, I attend all the services of the church. I even go Sunday night and Wednesday night. Well, that's a wonderful thing, and I think you should. But but is that the way that we know that Christ is really working in your life? Well, somebody says, I'm not sure what you're getting at. If you really want to find out how Christ is functioning in your life, find out how well He's functioning in your home. Is He making a difference in your home? You see, the first place that your Christian light ought to shine is in your family. It's in your home. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it gives light to all the house. And then he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That doesn't just make sense to you. That the first place that you ought to let your light shine is in your family. You know, our children learn by example. 
Now, that's true, they learn by precept, by what we teach them, but, but some of the most powerful teaching that we do our children is by the way that we live before them. Because, you see, they're born imitators. I, I, know, I, I read about a man, or heard about a man, he was a preacher, and his son learned to dip tobacco by watching another man in the church dip tobacco. There's the example. Example. That our example is so powerful with our children. There was a man who had at one time in his life had a weakness for strong drink. He overcame that weakness. And one day one of his former drinking buddies offered him a drink. He said, are you afraid to drink? He said, I'm not afraid to drink. I'm afraid of the example I would set. You see, he knew that if he did that, he could cause other people to stumble and fall in his family, maybe even his children. You see, here is where Christ needs to be first in our lives, and that's at home. It's in the home that we need to be teaching our children some of the rugged principles of life. I'm not sure that children are being taught all those rugged principles of life today. Here, here's where they need to be taught the rugged principle of, of honor. It, it, that almost sounds antiquated, doesn't it? Talk about honor today. We, we need to teach them the principle of duty and, and responsibility. And there are so many that do not want to assume responsibility for their actions. That they like to blame their actions on someone else. And that's an old game that Satan started in the Garden of Eden. Blaming actions on someone else. We, we need to teach our children the principle of truthfulness. To always tell the truth. One of the teachers that I had when I was in college at this university was the late Rex Turner Sr., Dr. Turner was a great teacher of the Bible. He, he was especially knowledgeable of the prophets of the Old Testament. I can remember various times Brother Turner telling the class, unless an individual is basically honest, they have no foundation upon which to build a good life. And that's been some 50 years now that I sat at his feet. And that's what he said is just as true today as it was when he was a boy. He grew up in a place called Corner, Alabama. And he said that when he was a boy, he was taught to be truthful. And he said, if I told a man that I would meet him at Attaway's store at five o'clock in the morning, I would be there. Well, I don't know where Attaway store was in Corner, Alabama. But I can tell you one of the things that Dr. Turner taught me. The rugged principle of being truthful and honest. You, you see, that's something that we need to be teaching our children today. And we need to be teaching them the dignity of working. And I know that the, the letter work, the word work... It is a four-letter word, but it's not a dirty word. 
And God expects us to work and to earn our living by the sweat of our brow. The Bible teaches that if a man will not work, he should not eat. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 rather. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul said, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. There are those that rather steal than work. There are those that had rather work off of the labors, or rather live off the labors of other people who do work. But we need to teach our children the value of work. One of the things that my parents taught me was the value of hard work and the, the honor of working. And I tried to instill in my children the value of being a hard worker. If you work for an individual, you give them eight hours work for eight hours pay. As a matter of fact, do just a little bit more. Because they'd rather pay you more than, than you'd rather get it. And I mean by that, they'd rather you work hard so that you deserve a little bit more, more perhaps more than you would rather work that little bit extra. You see, we need to be teaching our children some of these rugged principles of life. We need to teach our children that they need to respect their parents today, to honor their parents. And we have perhaps some young people watching right now. Let me tell you, young people, you need to obey your father and you need to obey your mother. In Ephesians 6, chapter, Paul said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And let me tell you, it's wrong when you don't. Some young people disregard what their parents say. Some children talk to their parents in such a disrespectful way. I have to really struggle to, to maintain my composure when I see children that are talking to their, their parents in, in, with such disrespect. We, we need to teach them respect in the home. How's a child going to honor and respect a parent that, that doesn't go to church? Tell me that. How will a child respect a parent that doesn't ever read the Bible, doesn't ever pray? Tell me that. You see, the, what, what are we seeing in your home today is Christ first in your home. Now, do we see love in your home? It seems to me that the first place that you ought to be able to see real love is, to, is in the home today. There was a couple being interviewed. They'd been living together for a long, long time, and, and they were being interviewed on the radio. And they were asked, what have you all done that's kept you together for all of these many years? And their response to the person doing the interview was that every day we say, I love you to each other, and we kiss. I might say this to you men that are watching right now, according to a West German survey, that men who kiss their wives every day live five years longer. You're looking, a man wants to live just as long as he possibly can. How about you? You, you see, this ought to be a place where we love. I, I, there was a woman that had a nervous breakdown. And the reason that she had a nervous breakdown was because her husband stopped talking to her. That's not love. 
In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Paul talks about the kind of love that we ought to have in the home. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, he said, Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that they might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that they might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so Christ loved the church. And we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Well, just how much did Jesus Christ love the church? Well, he loved his church enough to die for it. He loved the church enough that he would sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. You'll continue reading Ephesians 5. He loved the church enough that he would nourish and cherish it. And a man ought to love his wife with a sacrificial love. We ought to be willing to forego, sacrifice anything for the benefit of our wives because we love them. The love that Jesus had for the church was an unselfish love. If there's one thing that is destroying more families perhaps than any other thing, it's the sin of selfishness. As a matter of fact, I've often said that there's only one sin and it is the sin of selfishness. Can you think of any sin in the great catalog of sins that some way is not rooted in selfishness? And when we live in, in the, the life of, I've got to have it my way, it's my way or the highway, you're going to have problems in your, in your marriage, in your home. Selfishness. We ought to love our wives with a pure love. Never become unfaithful to your companion. When you said that you would love her and cherish her until death do you part, you took that pledge and that vow in the presence of God Almighty and before witnesses. And you're to keep that pledge. We ought to love our wives with a nourishing, cherishing love. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't give the church a black eye. Jesus didn't live in a way that would cause the church to be tainted in any way. He loved it and he died for it. And a man that loves his wife will never do anything to mistreat his wife. I, I, I'm speaking to no doubt some, right now to some wife somewhere in America, or maybe some other place in the world who is mistreated by her husband. If he really loves you, he will not do that. No man ever hated his own flesh, Paul said, but nourishes and cherishes it. People don't go around and ball up their fist and start hitting themselves in the head and giving themselves a bloody nose or a black eye. That's just not natural. That's not normal. And when we love our wives... And we have Christ in our home and we love them like we're supposed to love them. We just cherish them. And they become the most precious thing in our lives on this earth. Do we see love in your home? Do we see happiness and do we see harmony in the home? There was a boy who said that he would be so glad 
when he got old enough that he could leave home. Now the reason he felt that way was because there was so much fussing. There was so much uh, disagreement and disharmony in the family. He wanted to get out of that situation. I've known of young people like that. That they wanted to leave home because of the, all of the confusion that went on in their home. Now, there was a man who said that when he and his wife married, that they made a decision. And they knew that they would have some problems to come up, and they would have some decisions to make, and some of them would be big decisions. Some of them would be little decisions. And they agreed, he said he agreed with his wife, that she would make all of the little decisions. And he said that I would make all of the big decisions. And he said, so far, in all of our years of being married, there haven't been any big decisions. Well, if you had decided who's going to settle the issues in your home, the big decisions, the little decisions, you're not going to have any confusion. There were two children that were caught fussing outside in the yard and a neighbor came by and said, what are you doing? said, we're playing mother and daddy. We need to have our homes as a place where there's happiness and where there's harmony. And let me give you some ideas about how to do that. First of all, practice Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. Why don't we start in the home treating our other people in the home like we want them to treat us? Then what about Ephesians 4 and verse 32? Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one, or even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let me ask you, what do we see in your home? Is your home a Christian home? Why don't you make your home a Christian home today? Believe on Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Christ. And you can be baptized into Jesus Christ that your sins be forgiven. Christ said, in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Would you render your life to Him today and put Him first in your life? If you believe He exists, if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to confess his, your faith in Him, be baptized today. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>